0: A reading from Second Peter 3, 13 to 18, New International Version. Second Peter 3, 13 to 18. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, Since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. Therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of the lawless and fall from your secure position. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory, both now and forever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks
1: be to God. Lord, we uh, thank you for your word. And we ask, Lord, that you would bless it now to our minds and to our hearts. As we discuss it, I pray you'll speak to us. Lord, you know where each one of us are, Lord. You know what we're thinking, where our hearts are, where our week has been. And Lord, give to each one of us those words we need to hear, that we might, as we listen to the words you've given us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, um, atheist uh, Andrew Seidel says, the road to atheism is littered with Bibles that have been read cover to cover. This guy's an evangelist for atheism. And he says the road to atheism is littered with Bibles that have been read cover to cover. You know, there was a time, uh, actually, hopefully a little bit now, but uh, previously when the people generally thought of the Bible in positive terms. It was generally thought of as the good book. And I guess, you know, many places it still is. Still is something where it's generally thought, well, that's it. That'll be inspirational. That's good to read. It's good for people to read. It might be something you'd want to put in a hotel room, for instance, because it's a benefit to people. But increasingly, people are viewing it very differently. That, uh, you know, at at best, it's just intelligent or old-fashioned. And at worst, you know, people say, well, the Bible, that propagates hatred towards women, a disdain for science. It justifies slavery. It promotes genocide, and even worse. And and we may know that um, most people who make those kind of claims, if you handed them a Bible, they probably have no idea how to back up what they just asserted. And uh, and it can be frustrating that people twist the scriptures and make them say things that we know. That's not what the Bible is teaching. Yet at the same time, for those of us who read the scriptures, we know that there are a lot of troubling passages. We understand why people could... could you know, make them say these kind of things. And what do we do with those passages? You know, we are this week in our last uh, sermon in our series on 2 Peter called The Pursuit of Faith. And as we've been saying, you know, Peter's not so much concerned about people or he's concerned about it, but his point here is not for people who are, uh, who are so that they would come to faith, but the pursuit once you have come to faith that it's not a thing you, you haven't arrived just because you believe in Jesus. You're actually just beginning and you need to pursue your faith and grow in your faith. And one of the key themes throughout this letter that comes again and again is scriptures and the importance of what, what scriptures are, the importance of following them and the way people twist them and turn them about. And he's, he's ending on this note again, warning about that with the way people would take scriptures and, and distort them. So the question is, is what what is Peter saying we need to do about that? What do we do about people who take the scriptures and distort them? How are we supposed to think about it? And uh, that's what Peter's really gonna address. But I wanna take it one step further too, because, and how are we supposed to, you know, Peter seems to almost make it a little bit too easy as to what we are to do. How can we handle some of these hard scriptures? So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to go from St. Peter, talk about what does he, you know, what does he talk about scripture and, you know, how people can twist it? How are we supposed to respond to that? And then how are we supposed to respond when we come to a lot of these difficult passages that are hard to understand scripture? So today are puzzling scriptures as we finish up the book of Second Peter. So beginning uh, in that passage that Roz read, You know, it says, you know, bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. Now, that's a classic line, too, you might look at and go, well, gosh, that is one of these confusing lines. What does that mean? The Lord's patience means salvation. Just a little clue on handling scripture, right? Context is always best. If you just, you know, a few verses earlier, if you remember, we talked about a few weeks ago when it said, you know, people are saying, where is this promise? And it says, the Lord's not slow in keeping his promise. He is patient, as it says there. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to a repentance and a knowledge of the truth. So the Lord's patience means that more people can come to the knowledge of the truth means salvation. But then look at this. Just as our dear brother Paul wrote, also wrote you. He also wrote you this stuff. With the wisdom God gave him, he writes in the same way in all his letters, speaking to them of these very matters. You're thinking, wow, what a bizarre thing for Paul to drop into the middle of 2 Peter here. You know what is that about? And that and that, dear brother, you may have heard the saw twice in the in the passage. Roz read, dear friends, and if you remember that's the word. It's allows the English translation for the word agape. You know, um, and it's you know it's a it's off of that form of that word, and, and that's one of these incredible terms that speaks about the way God loves us, and His commitment to us, His covenantal, unconditional love, and He's He's calling them the you know the beloved. And uh, he says, and that is that they're beloved by God and thus they're beloved by Peter. And now he's calling Paul also the beloved. He's also one of these beloved with us. And you might be saying, which is interesting too, because the contemporary and he's speaking about Peter, which is fascinating, which we'll talk about in a moment. But I think, what what is Peter's point bring him up? He wants you to know that he's on the same page with Peter, uh, with Paul, that they are teaching the same things The things he's speaking of is the same thing Paul's speaking of, which gives you a sense of what may have been happening in that church, is that they may have been taking Paul's teachings. If you remember that people were teaching in the church things that were off, and Peter's addressing them, and he's trying to say, don't don't try to get at it that you think you're following Paul. And probably one of the things, remember, Paul talked about, you know, um, the new freedom you have in Christ, a freedom from the law. And these guys had taken that idea of freedom from the law to mean you could do whatever you want, pretty much. Whatever your desires ask you to do, you do it. And he's saying, no way, that's not what's being taught. And that's not what Peter's teaching or <laughs> Paul's teaching. It's not what I'm teaching you right now too. But we are on the same page with what we're saying. There's no difference here. He is beloved, we're part of the beloved ones. There's not a conflict between us. He is my beloved brother. But the second piece of what he gets at here, if we, um, again, take a look at that text. He says, you know, he writes in the, uh, his letters contain some things Uh, that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort. And here's a key line, as they do the other scriptures, which is, that may seem small to you, but this is a a really important text right there in line as to how we understand the New Testament as the word of God, the scriptures there, that we're talking about Old Testament. And now Paul's writings are being made equivalent to scriptures here. And this is other a big theme again in uh, Second Peter as he's talking about the apostolic teachings that when you know Jesus Jesus revelation now is this continuation of Scripture and the apostles have this message which they're taking out and these are foundational passages to the, to the founding of the New Testament you know and and Paul and he's talking about Paul's letters here as a contemporary as being Scripture saying he's carrying on the prophetic that that he's speaking with the words God gave him it's saying. the idea that this prophetic tradition that god is speaking through them the word of god and so you see it again here in paul so anyway really important uh, scriptures for this but to our point today what he says about it and uh, if you just kind of glance at it again he said some scriptures are hard to understand actually i'm telling daniel this i can't remember what the next slide is Um, that one okay it says they contain things that are hard to understand which ignorant and unstable people distort. That phrase, hard to understand, and you can pull it down now, but is uh, really important to grasp, and this may seem obvious, but the scriptures can be hard to understand. It says some things are hard to understand, not everything, and uh, what's important about that is some people think the Bible shouldn't be hard to understand, that uh, I don't understand what's going on, I don't understand why it's so difficult to get, it should be easy, And uh, some people think, well, it's the easiest interpretation of everything is what it should be. If you're trying to get too, you know, academic and too complex with this, you're kind of missing or you're evading what God wants to do. And usually when you just want a super simple explanation of every text, you're generally reading it from your own cultural context anyway. And if everybody reads it from their own own cultural context in a very simple way, you're going to come up with a lot of different meanings. you're trying to get at what does the text actually mean within the context it's being given. And, uh, but the idea that there are things that are hard and that's okay. I was, uh, I remember talking to Bethany, he said, her small groups, uh, looking at the book of Hebrews and she goes, you know, they could write that book a little easier, you know, or something like that. Cause it is like a complex book, right? It's hard to understand. But what Paul's saying, one of the problems here is that, uh, things are hard to understand, but people will take it as they do the rest of the scriptures and they will twist it. And they'll, the word distort, they'll distort the scriptures, uh, and so therefore, they'll say they're teaching things they're not. And again, this is not stuff, uh, has anyone seen this before, that people take scriptures and distort them, even people within the church, something we had still deal with quite a bit. And, it, and he actually lists two kinds of people that do that. He says the people who are um, ignorant and unstable. And ignorant means it's an issue of kind of knowledge and teaching. People don't know what they're talking about, and they're confidently asserting the scriptures say. But then this other word is interesting, unstable which is a different which is almost like more of a character issue that you know these people are kind of unstable folks who are distorting it now essentially that word unstable becomes one that clicks a couple times in a letter when he talks to us about being on our guard that we may not fall he says don't fall from your secure position that's the same word the op- you know the opposite that's don't fall from your stable position so you are following the lord you're faithfully you at the stable position don't be ah like unstable But then he also talks about the the teachers in 2 Peter 2 with eyes full of adultery they never stop sinning and they seduce the unstable so these these unstable folks get um who are lured in there and there's something about that life of stability versus instability one which is strong and firm in our faith versus one which is wiggly you can pull it down oh you're right Dan, Dan knows what I'm doing better than I'm doing uh, know what I'm doing. And so that so he asks, well, what's the ultimate uh, and here is really what Peter's final word is, because what do we do with this? We got people who are twisting the scriptures, ignorant people, people who are distorting it, they're luring people, they're seducing people. And he says, listen, therefore, dear friends, again that beloved, you have been forewarned, meaning, I'm warning you that this is what happens. And that's a word to us, right? This is what happens. Therefore, what do we do? Be on your guard, so that you may not be carried away by the error of lawless and fall from your secure position. Right? That you, each one of us, have the temptation to become unstable. Don't rest in your faith like that. Be on your guard. Know this has happened. Just because people twist the scripture doesn't mean it, throw it doesn't mean what they're saying is right. But you grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, right? This is his key, right? This is a theme of all of Second Peter. This continued, this is this is your pursuit of faith. Continue to grow in grace and knowledge. And remember, if we go all the way back to the start, and you could pull that down now, this is one of these key ideas in Second Peter, is that you have what you need to do what God has called you to do, right? He says, his divine power has given you everything you need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him. And the idea that, you know, through the Holy Spirit that, you know, God has actually given us what we need to live this life. So we don't need to be fearful when people distort scriptures, when people do this, so we can we can be upset about it, we can do it, but don't get carried away by that stuff. You grow in your knowledge, man, make every effort, he says, to add to your faith, right, knowledge, and goodness, and self-control, perseverance, and brotherly, that whole list up there, that is what the walk is, he goes, that's actually the biggest defense when people mess with scriptures, when they twist them, when they distort them. You know what happens. Don't get chucked off by it, but continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord. That's a, it's a clean statement. So that's his response, what we're to do in that. But I want you, know, as we take a part four, so what should we then do when we get these scriptures, which are so hard to understand? And uh, so, Anyway, let's, let's talk a little bit about that. Off the bat, one of the things we should be secure on is what is the purposes of Scripture to begin with? Sometimes we forget. We think it's supposed to do everything at all. In a, in a very familiar passage in 2 Timothy, if we'll take a look at that, it says, you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to do what? Able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Key purpose of Scripture makes you wise for salvation. It's giving you what you need to know to be able to be reconciled to God through Jesus, all right? Those scriptures are a revelation from him by which we can be reconciled to God. And it says all scripture is God-breathed. You know, there you are, like, you know, God breathed into Adam. He breathes into the scripture. Uh, And it's therefore useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Why? So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work you, again, you have what you need. The scriptures will equip you to do all that God has called you to, and that's a key place. It, it reconciles you to God, and it equips you to live that God, live that life for God in the world. Now, you might say, well, okay, I got that. That's the main point of scriptures, right? It's not teaching everything about everything, but, but, but still, what, what what do I do when I get these weird things? I mean, you know, you come across the scripture and things are disturbing and things are weird, you know, or, or what do I do with that? Where I, I have no idea how, how is that possibly equipping me for life in this world, this bizarre kind of text. And for that, I, I just want to play with a metaphor, which I find really helpful to think about scripture. And it's the metaphor of a puzzle and a jigsaw puzzle. Often, you know, with a jigsaw puzzle, You often will take a solitary piece and look at it and and be very, you know, you look at, and you're not actually bothered by the idea that you really don't know where this goes in the rest of the puzzle. You have confidence that this piece fits in the puzzle, that the puzzle all fits together somehow. But looking at that one thing, you may go, I have no idea where this is or how it fits. It's a strange puzzle. You could pull it down. And and it's, um, it's often like that in the text. The Bible, we pull up a little piece and we're like, what in the world is this? I don't understand how this fits in the rest of the puzzle, but there's a confidence we can have that, listen, the puzzle does fit together, and you know, bit by bit you go, oh wait, you put these other pieces together, and you're like, oh that's where that fits. That's how that goes, and and often when you study the Bible, it's much like that. You know, you, you figure it out, and you fit it in there, and so many things in the scripture are like, you know, almost like you see edges of things around those pieces, and you're looking for other ones with those edges, and you're trying to go, oh, and when you put them together, they begin to form a little bit, then another piece, and it grows bit by bit, and oftentimes it takes a long time to figure out how it all fits together. Now, you might go, nice metaphor, what is this work function? Let, let me give you an example. We're going to look in the at a bizarre passage in the Torah. By the way, when most people make all those complaints about the Bible, they often are pulling all these laws out of the Torah And the Torah is like its own little jigsaw puzzle, how it fits into the rest of the scripture. And the laws really chuck people off. But if you begin to know how to handle them and put them together, they won't trip you out so much. Like here's a passage. Let's just look at this one. This is one of those ones you're like, what in the world? You know, in Exodus 26, it says, set up the tabernacle according to the plan shown you on the mountain. Make a curtain of blue purple, and scarlet yarn, and finely twisted linen. It's a very detailed curtain there with cherubim woven into it by a skilled worker. Hang it with gold hooks on four posts of acacia wood overlaid with gold and standing on four silver bases. Hang the curtain with the clasps and place the Ark of the covenant, uh, covenant of the Law behind the curtain. The covenant will separate the holy place from the most holy place. Put the atonement cover on the Ark of the Covenant Law in the Most Holy Place. Place the table outside the curtain on the north side of the tabernacle and put the lampstand opposite on the south side. For the entrance to the tent, make a curtain of blue, purple, and scarlet yarn with finely twisted linen, the work of an embroiderer. Make gold hooks for this curtain, five posts of acacia wood overlaid with gold, and cast five bronze bases for them. Now, when you came across a passage like this, this feels like a like you've just picked up a jumble of uh puzzle pieces, doesn't it? You're like going, what you know, this is like all these pieces. I have no idea how this fits into the rest of anything. This is a whole lot of stuff. But let's say you begin to look at it a little more carefully. And the and, and you notice for instance that wow there's these sections in here which are which are identical. There's a curtain up here. It's blue, purple, scarlet yarn, finely twisted linen, and it does at the bottom also blue, purple, scarlet yarn, finely twisted linen, identical. Hang it with gold hooks, identical. There's four posts versus five, but they both have the posts are both acacia wood overlaid with gold. Okay, that's all great, right? That's similar. But then you notice the differences. The first one has cherub being woven into that curtain. The second one doesn't. Huh. There's like two little pieces where one's slightly different. The first one has silver bases. The second one has bronze bases. Huh. So the one with cherubim up there has silver, the other one with bronze. And then you look a little more carefully at, well, what's the difference about these two? Well, the first one, it seems to be, it's the curtain that's being placed where the Ark of the Covenant the Law is behind that curtain. And this curtain up here, the first one with the cherubim, separate the holy place from the most holy place. And you put the atonement cover on the Ark of the Covenant of the Law in the most holy place. All right. So this, we're in the most holy place of the whole tabernacle. That's where these cherubim are and where the Ark is of the law. And then there's a table out there. But the second one, though, is for the entrance to the tent. So the tabernacle, remember, is like as you look at it, there's a holy place and a most holy place. And there's this tent way out that's keeping it. And on, for the tent way out there, there's no cherubim. And you look at it too, what you'll find as you continue to read in these different areas, you'll be like, oh, bronze. So bronze is all the way on the outside, silver as you get closer. And then if you start to read all this stuff, you'll realize as you get, the more inside you get, everything's gold. Like you go into the very holiest place, everything is gold, everything's gold all around you. The farther you out, bronze, and you're like, oh, hold on. So are these symbolically the different metals? Uh, are, are they symbolic? as we get closer to the holy place, you're going, wait, I start to see what's going on here. And I, and I start to organize some of these pieces. So I, then I start to go through it. I start to separate bronze, silver, and gold and moving it like there. And then I go the cherubim. So the cherubim are at the curtain, which is separating that most holy place, but they're not all the way on the outside. And you start to do a little search by cherubim all over the Torah and you're like, oh, wow, it's only in two places anywhere in the whole Torah. It's a few of these descriptions here in the temple where it's in the curtain, and it's also on top of the ark, these big cherubim hammered in, guess what? Gold. But where else they show up? Genesis chapter three. When they're taken out of Garden of Eden and they are removed from the presence of God, it's cherubim guarding the way. And you're like, oh, I see what's going on. It's kind of like the Garden of Eden over here. And cherubim are guarding it again. And what's inside the most holy place? God. That's where we meet with God. And no one's allowed to go in there, just like no one's allowed to go back in Eden. You're going, oh, and little puzzle pieces start to fit together a little bit. You're like, oh, wait, wait, Genesis 2 and 3, the Garden of Eden over here. And then you go, wait, so now sacrifices, that's how somebody can actually go into that presence of God oh, and then you're reading the New Testament, you'll be reading the, 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 the Holy Week account this week, and you'll go, when Jesus died on the cross, the curtain in the temple was wrenched top to bottom. You're like, whoa, I just read about that curtain way back in Exodus. You mean that one that separates the people that no one gets in, that's top to bottom? So through Jesus's, So all this is symbolically talking about ultimately Jesus' death on the cross by which we can have access to God again and that we get the whole thing in Genesis 2 and 3 can be redeemed. And you're going, oh, wait, now the puzzle's starting to fit. Now there's a ton of pieces I haven't put in there yet. There's a whole lot of pieces. I can't see how this whole thing fits. But you start to go, whoa, whoa, whoa. I start to see where it is in the puzzle bit by bit. You know, all these weird um, unclean laws. You know, you're going at those things going, these are super weird. Why is he telling us not to do this stuff? But then you read carefully a little bit and you start going, and remember differences are a great way to tell, like, you know, even with puzzle pieces, right? You see little things are differences, not where they're the same, that doesn't help so much, but the differences and you're going, well, I thought all these things are just stuff you're not supposed to do. But then you see some of them you're not supposed to do are really severe, separate from your people, you know, put to death kind of, I mean, serious stuff. But Then there's a whole lot of stuff where it just says you'd be unclean. You're like, what does that mean? And you look at it and go. Sometimes uncleanness is just like for the day, you know. Just yeah, you're unclean for a day, and for stuff you can't even think about doing. Well, I, I, I touched a dead, you know, my my uh, a you know a, friend, a family member died, and I was with them. Now you're unclean. Wasn't he saying I shouldn't be with them? No. She's going, oh wait, wait. So uncleanness is this small thing, which again seems to be symbolically acting to make you somehow unholy, but it's again just a picture. It's a temporary. So it's. You mean oh so it's not this necessarily right and wrong but all i'm saying is you start to see all this different stuff as you read and it all starts to fit together and you may say wow that's a big puzzle and i don't understand all that stuff half the things you're talking about i have no idea what you're talking about and that's fine what the way it works you know what my kids were small and i got them their first puzzle i got those huge melissa and doug puzzles which are like 24 pieces uh, or I think the first one was even smaller than that, but each, each puzzle piece is this big. But they're like, you know, these little kids and they're looking at this thing going, I don't understand how this fits. And you're thinking, it's the horse. It's obviously the horse. I didn't say that to my kids. You know, I, I, I try to let them figure that out, but I'm not always the best parent. But, that's right. but the puzzle pieces, they're, you know, they're putting it together, but it's an appropriate puzzle for their age because they can, fi- it's still a challenge, but they can see how it, fi- how it fits together. And, uh, and, and for us, when we start in faith, oftentimes it's a 24-piece puzzle. You know, the Bible, it, it comes from God. He's there. He loves me. He forgives me. I can pray, you know, and I, I can answer that. I You know, and, and the very basics of your faith fit there, and that is great. And that puzzle comes together, and it is beautiful. But if you're an adult, and you're saying, I'm going to go get a puzzle to do, I'm going to get a 24-piece Melissa and Doug puzzle that's not that appropriate for an adult. And I think, you know something, you might wanna challenge yourself a bit more than that. And that, that's kinda, of, sometimes we want, we want the Bible to be like these little tiny, simple puzzles. But as we grow in our faith, the puzzle gets bigger. You know, you, you do the 24, then you do the 50, <laughs> then you do the 100 piece. And as you go, and in some ways, I think, and God's always challenging us to go up to that next level of the puzzle, the more complex puzzle. And eventually you're gonna to get to a place where the puzzle is actually so enormous that you're going to need a whole community to do the puzzle with you. And everybody's going to be working on different things. And there's some people who are super good at puzzles and they're going to be able to put that stuff together. And that's really going to help you because unless you had those guys over there, put those little pieces together, you'd never figure this thing out, right? And uh, and, and that's how it becomes like this giant communal thing. And uh, she so might go, well, neat, neat metaphor, but functionally, how do I begin to look at the Bible better? And I understand, all right. You'd be amazed the more you read it, the more you become familiar with it. And, 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 and take up the same thing. When you get, a, when you get a, a puzzle piece and you're like, I don't know where it fits, you know and believe for the most part that unless someone's gotten into the puzzle box, it does fit and it will fit in there and go, and, and don't freak out because you don't know where it fits. Just put it to the side for a little bit. And, and, uh, but we can grow in our ability to know things This is one thing as a church, you want everyone to grow in their knowledge of the scriptures, right? Your familiarity with it. That's why we have small groups studying scriptures. We have Bible studies. I think there's a the Monday night study with the women. I think they're I think they're going into covenants now, which is a tremendously cool and important study. On uh, Friday mornings, they're often uh, the, the guys there are often talking about what is the Bible, how do you study it? Uh, if it's Thursday morning, women's Bible, there's lots of good studies around. Get yourself in there to study that stuff. If you think, I don't have time to be part of a group. You know, I've oftentimes talked about the Bible Project uh, is, an, is an amazing resource. There's like little five, 10-minute videos, podcasts. So helpful to begin to learn how to handle the scriptures. Bibleproject.org. Great stuff. I think it's .org. Yeah. And, you know, and next, uh, we're finishing 2 Peter. In a few weeks, we're going to start our next series. And I, I thought, let's go for one of the weird books. You know, one of the weird books that has one of those things you look at and go, what is going on? So we're going to actually look at the book of Jonah. And you're you're probably going to be thinking, Jonah, wait, wait, the whale, right? So Jonah, the whale, what is the deal with the whale? Did somebody really get swallowed by a whale? Do I need to believe that? What's going on there? And I think we can look at it and start to go, oh, there's really cool stuff here. And I'd recommend, you know, you can read all of Jonah in 10 minutes. And what I would recommend, read through Jonah and chart everything that's weird. Because you're going to actually find that Jonah, it's not just the whale. It is full of weird stuff. And don't be afraid of the weird stuff. Just go, well, that's weird. That's weird. That's weird. And if you're really reading it closely, you're going to have a long list of weird. Let me tell you that. But now read it next to. If you haven't seen this, contrast is a key thing to understand the scripture. Read some of the other small prophets next to it or around it. Again, not the bigger book prophets. You can read those too. But read the smaller ones like Nahum or Habakkuk or or, you know, Zephaniah, or, you know, even Mike and them, they're all right there, Opadiah. And you'll see they all kind of start the same, you know, the word of the Lord came to whoever it was, but then you're going to watch, everyone else is kind of similar, and Jonah is like whacked, and you're going to go, oh, and begin to think about that, huh, why is Jonah so different, what's going on there? So I'm not going to tell you anything about that, but I, I think it'd be really neat if everyone kind of looked at it beforehand and kind of looked at the different stuff and see what are some conclusions you can do when you begin to look at those puzzle pieces next to one another? And what can you kind of figure out about how it fits together? What is going on with Jonah? Anyway, that's a, a preview as we talk into the next thing and a challenge for us to learn the scriptures better, to understand them, to see what God wants to say to us. Because ultimately, remember, the scripture is accessible to us. Seek him, you'll find him. You know, like God's word is not something that's supposed to be so hard that we can't access it, but it's given to us to make us wise to salvation, to equip us and train us. In Peter's exhortation, remember. Uh, and this is the final verse of Peter. He says to us, grow, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Take what you know and continue to climb that mountain Pursue it, be be better able and better equipped to handle the scriptures, and let God use them in our lives. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you, Father. We thank you for uh, your incredible blessings to us. Thank you for your word that you've given it to light our paths that we can walk, that you've given us this word that we can connect to you that we can uh, praise you and exalt you and love you, understand how to live in this world for you, that somehow with your word, we are equipped for everything you would have us do. Lord, Lord, teach us to handle it rightly and truly, not to be ignorant, not to be unstable, but to be secure in our faith and in following you. We praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen.